Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 392 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find a link to the dazzling author, Gwendolyn Womack. You might, that name might sound familiar to you. If you're, if you're not a fan of Gwendolyn's yet, hopefully this episode will change all of that. But the name might sound familiar because I had her on the podcast a couple of years ago. She corrected me. I thought it was a year ago, but time flies. Time flies, my friends, which is the theme of this episode. But I had her on a couple years ago to talk about her book, The Fortune Teller. And now she's back on the show to talk about her book, The Time Collector. And we are going to talk about all the all the cool things, all the cool magical things that are in this book, including psychometry, mudras, crop circles, sacred geometry, something called intuitive archaeology, which I have never heard of before. Have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard this word? Uparts. Uparts. We're going to talk about uparts and the magic of time, which is something that Something that I think about a lot these days. So I think you'll really love this conversation. Also in the show notes, you will find a link to Kate Nix because I'm going to play a song of hers at the very end of the episode that I hope you will stick around for. She is definitely an artist that I think many of you will love. So stick around for that. And, oh, the magic star. There will be a link to the magic star, five steps to deliberate creation. It's my latest audio journey. I'm extremely excited about it. And it comes out Friday, this Friday, May 10th. You can get it at any time, but if you want to pre-order it, particularly if you're a patron, I created pre-order discount codes for each tier over on Patreon. And those are going away this weekend. So... Heads up, heads up for that. If you're listening to this in the future, no worries. You can get the Magic Star any time. And speaking of this Patreon pre-order discount code situation, (laughs) I told you all that this was happening and encouraged you to sign up over on Patreon if you wanted to take advantage of the discount code. And quite a few of you took me up on that. And I like to thank new patrons here on the podcast. So... Fingers crossed that I don't get anybody's last name wrong because I almost always get people's last name wrong. But I want to thank you all individually for joining me over there. I hope that you are loving all the bonus content. For anybody who is Patreon curious but has not yet taken the leap, (laughs) you can join me there for as little as $1 a month. And if you're signed up, all the way up to $10 a month. I post there every single weekend. I often create bonus content, lots of podcasts, a video at the top of the month. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. So without any further ado, let's thank the new patrons. Thank you guys so much. 
to anybody who has ever supported me there. But in particular, today, I want to give a shout out to Serena Trexler, Kendall, just Kendall, Isabel Frostman, Jamie Gold, Lindsay, another just Lindsay, Carmel Faye, which I love that name, Carmel Faye, Natalie Pinter, I know who you are, Natalie, hello, Joy Langtree, Don Zemer, Zimer, Katie, just Katie, Brandy Van Neville, Carolina Heron, and I, I hope that's everyone. Please forgive me if I skipped over you. I didn't do it on purpose. And uh, we should really get into talking about what we're here to talk about today, which is the magic of time. You may know that I started working with Saturn as an archetype, specifically as father time a few years back. And I can't stop thinking about time. So this episode is very personal to me because Gwendolyn, she writes, I would describe it as magical fiction. She writes fiction. She's three books into her career right now. And time is a theme in all three of her books. So I just, I relate to that fascination with time. I think something happens to your brain. I think it happens at a different age for all of us. For me, it happened around maybe my mid-30s. And then really after I turned 40, I started becoming hyper aware of the preciousness of time and how fast the seasons go. Like when you start walking the wheel of the year, it's like spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter. It really brings you into the present moment if you're mindful of nature, which is awesome. But at the same time, it gives you a sense because you're honoring every turn of the wheel, which there's eight spokes on the wheel of the year for many of us. We celebrate all eight and it's like, oh my gosh, it's a new holiday. Where did the last six weeks just go? <laughs> I read an article recently on... I can't remember where it was, but it got my attention because time was prominent in the headline. But it was something about how time gets shorter as we get older. And then the article was really about how to stretch out time and how to not experience that phenomenon as you get older, where you start freaking out about time getting shorter. It seems to get shorter. Time is very, very relative. It's relative to your experience and what you're focused on. And this article was talking about how little kids, you know, they feel this huge, vast expanse of time. Like the summers just go on and on and on, or they're waiting for the end of the school year. And it was talking about how children experience time in a different way, not because they have an awareness of their own mortality and like, oh, I have plenty of time. It was really because they're in the moment. It was about living your life in the moment and that that actually expands time. So if you're walking the wheel of the year, for example, it would be getting outside every single day without any kind of input from the internet or your phone or even other people to just like be in the moment with nature on a regular basis just to feel the changing of the seasons and to be very present. That can be helpful in terms of expanding time. To spend time with your loved ones, again, without like technology interfering. I think 
many of us are experiencing time speeding up because we have all of these distractions vying for our attention all the time. And I know like the power of now is something that we all understand at least conceptually in the new age movement. But if you are a person who is struggling with this feeling that like, I never have enough time to get everything done or time is just going by so fast. Oh my gosh, my kids are growing up. Things, things like that. If you're struggling with that, I recommend developing a mindfulness practice. So every once in a while, maybe once a day when you're washing the dishes or you're going on a walk or you're on your commute to work or coming home on your way back from work, don't listen to anything. Don't play the radio. Don't listen to music. Just be there with the experience. This is particularly important. I will reiterate, if you are wanting to cherish the time that you have with your loved ones. I'm a person when I was younger and I would just lump my 20s and under in the younger category here, I recklessly squandered time. I was in a big fat hurry to get where I thought I was going and I believe that my son suffered because of this. I was not as good of a mother as I could have been. I was very distracted and very much focused on what I was trying to make happen and all of the different obstacles that were in my way. And I wasn't present to his childhood in the way that looking back now, I wish I would have been. So if you see me like constantly posting images of my kid on Instagram and talking about him doing this or doing that cute thing, it's because I did have an awakening around that at some point in my 30s. And now I'm just like making up for last time in a way. I'm just enjoying every little second that we have together. I feel that way about my parents. I feel that way about my sister. So I am just, I'm a nut for the love. And it's a time thing for me. I don't know how I got so lucky to have both of my parents still here on the planet and my aunts and uncles and my kid and my sister and my nephews that I, I made it past the point of being a resentful, bitter jerk who didn't appreciate anything and was really out of touch with time. My mind was always somewhere else, not always, but often somewhere else. And I'm just really glad that I made it out the other end of that to be able to really cherish the time that we do have together. When I started working with Saturn as an archetype of time, really, just a way, I mean, time is so vast when you really start thinking about it. It's not real, <laughs> but it feels so real. It's just a huge, bizarre, ethereal concept. And talking, thinking about it in terms of an archetype, I think made it digestible to me, thinking about father time. But when I first really got into that, it was about time management, and that had a lot to do with money and business and fitness and trying to fit all the things that I want to fit into every day. I still struggle with this. I am a person who is always trying to do too many things in the little amount of time that I have. But thinking about when I was talking to, to Gwendolyn when we recorded this, she said something about a play that she had written in her college years and it was about a man who had died and refused to reincarnate because he didn't want to go on without his wife when she said that I was like oh 
I feel that so, so, so deeply. And I've had so many synchronicities around time since speaking with Gwendolyn. I keep having all of these strange, like, time-related articles pop. And you know how synchronicity works. Once you're thinking about something, it's just like, hello, hello, how about this? What about this? What about that? (laughs) You're hearing songs about time and seeing movies about time. The book that I'm reading right now, I already read The Time Collector, but the book that I'm reading right now is by an author named Catherine Howe, and it's called The Appearance of Annie von Sinderen. And it is about a ghost who gets trapped in in between times. Like she keeps going back to like 1825, I think, was the year that she died, to modern day New York. And she she doesn't know what in the heck is going on. She's totally confused because one minute she's in 1825 and the next moment she's in, I think, maybe 2015. And it's really interesting that contrast between you know, how time marches on and she doesn't know what anybody is talking about or why everybody's walking around half naked or why they're holding up these boxes to their ears. (laughs) Like, she doesn't even know what a rotary phone is or, like, phones weren't invented back then. Cars weren't invented back then. So it's fascinating to see or read about this this ghost girl kind of traveling back and forth in time. It's such a theme for me right now. And I guess this is just a really book nerdy episode because there's the book by Katherine Howe. The whole point of this episode is to is to share the interview with Gwendolyn Womack about the time collector. And in this interview too, I think twice I mention an interview with novelist Ann Patchett that I heard on the Beautiful Writers podcast. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I loved this interview. I will link to that as well in the show notes. But she she has a photography book. It's not really hers, she, but she helped bring to life. I think maybe she did the commentary for the photographs. This book called Nashville. She has a, a independent bookstore in Nashville, and she helped this photographer put this book out about Nashville. And during the podcast, she was asked about how she faces the constant changes of Nashville because she grew up there and doesn't it bum her out to see all of the changes and she was joking around about how yeah she's lived there her whole life but now to this day she'll like turn onto a corner onto a street that she's been a million times and she has no idea where she is I can relate I feel that way when I go back home to Bakersfield and she's talking about how like entire neighborhoods are being ripped out in the name of progress. This really hit home for me because this is something I'm struggling with right now. I've told you that my landlord is selling my home. He's talked about selling it to developers who are just going to rip the whole thing down. It was built in 1912. It's a California bungalow. I adore it. I don't care how schlumpy and falling apart it is. I think it's amazing. And it mortified me to learn that they might tear this down and build condos in its place because this is happening all over Los Angeles constantly. The art exhibit that I went to recently was... Leo, I I talked about it on maybe here and and definitely on Instagram. I went to this art exhibit for this painter who is no longer here named Leo Politi. And he moved to Los Angeles in the 30s. And then around the 60s, he started getting really upset because they were tearing down these old Victorian homes to replace them 
with what is now like a concrete jungle. And he was mortified by this. So he painted, he started painting one by one those Victorian houses and writing little blurbs about the neighborhoods just to commemorate like this moment in time. Los Angeles is a place that is constantly mowing down the old in favor of the new to the point where we don't really have a lot of history to look back on or enjoy. I'm a person who has a thing for Victorian houses, so I find this particularly offensive. (laughs) So he... He created, I have a couple of his books now, one called Bunker Hill and one called Angelino Heights. And it's these paintings and illustrations of these Victorian homes. And he he says this work was an act of love and protest. And I can't tell you how deeply I feel that. I've been flirting with joining the Historical Preservation Society here in LA because I have such an issue with what is going on. However, during this Ann Patchett interview, she had an interesting take on this. She said about her neighborhoods being, you know, where she lives in Nashville being ripped up. She says, all I know is that we are alive, we are all alive and we are all marching toward our death. Everything is change and it has always been so for everyone. So I could complain or say that I like it better the old way. But that is really right up there with saying, I don't like getting older, which, hello, we're all getting older. We're all moving forward. And this city is not for me. And and then she was just talking about how, you know, it's even the photographer whose book that, that she helped put out into the world, it was like her vision of the city, which is different than Anne's vision of the city. And the future's vision of the city is going to be different than the past. So... It's just really interesting. She was saying, this is how the past works. The new things fit in the place, or the new thing fits in the place where the old thing was. And and then she went on to talk about how when her and her husband go home to her husband's hometown, it hasn't changed a hair. In fact, it seems to be traveling backward. And she said it feels dead and lifeless. And that change is not only inevitable, it's life. It's the breath of life. And she goes on to talk about trees. And I was like, okay, fine. I I still might join the Historical Preservation Society. (laughs) I still have issues with this. But at the same time, how can I talk about the magic of change, how life is change and magic is deliberate change, and then be a person that has so much resistance around time, time and change, which clearly I still do. And then one last thing I have to say before I get to the interview is Oprah had my number with the time thing, too. I don't know if I just wasn't hearing this before or if she changed the intro to Super Soul Conversations that are now being posted as a podcast. But she had Elizabeth Gilbert on at the end of April. And I heard the opening, I think because time was so much on my mind, it really grabbed me. The opening, the intro that she runs now in front of all of these podcast episodes is, I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time, taking time to be more fully present. 
And as a woman in her 60s, I believe she knows what she's speaking about. Because again, like time becomes a very precious commodity when you when you get to a certain age and you're like, holy crap, I totally squandered, you know, like what do they say? Youth is wasted on the young or something like that. It's it's kind of true in a way. And then what's interesting about that interview in the context of time, it was posted at the end of April 2019, but throughout the talk that Elizabeth Gilbert is delivering, she makes mention to things that I know are in the past. So I don't know how long ago this was recorded, but she refers to her husband as her husband. And I know that she divorced her husband to marry her best friend who was dying. Her her best friend, Rhea, I believe her name was. And I know that Rhea did indeed pass on and she's talking about Rhea as her best friend in this interview and how much she admires her. It was an interesting time capsule if you follow Elizabeth Gilbert's career and you know what's happened in her life since. So that was fascinating. And then one last thing that came from Oprah Winfrey that just wrecked me. I'm going to try my best to read this little paragraph to you <laughs> without crying. And I don't have any faith in my ability to do that because this... this you know, at the end of O Magazine, the, the final installment is What I Know For Sure. It's her What I Know For Sure series. And she said, this will be my first Mother's Day on Earth without a mother. Many of you already know what that feels like. It's a reckoning with your own mortality. For me, it's neither lonely nor sad, just an undeniable marker of the passage of time. Time spent, time remaining, and how precious every moment is. Thank you all so much for spending time with me here on the podcast and listening to my rambles like that. Without any further ado, here is the magical Gwendolyn Walmack talking about her new book, The Time Collector. Hello, Gwendolyn. Welcome back to Hippie Witch. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm, you know what, are you the only Gwendolyn Womack in the world? I Googled you this morning and I was like, <laughs> how many can there be? She must be the only one. Yeah, I don't know, but, uh, but maybe the only one that's writing books. Yeah, that works out really well for you as an author. <laughs> right. For, for people who did not hear our first interview, and I purposely did not listen to it, so we may mm -hmm. end up repeating ourselves. Who knows? <laughs> um, and I don't mind repeating information for people that this is the first time getting to meet you, but right. Gwendolyn has written, she's, she writes fiction that I think everyone listening to the podcast right now will love because it has, there's a lot of magic in it. She, mm -hmm. she wrote a book, the last book we talked about was The Fortune Teller, and the book we're here to talk about today is called The Time Collector. <laughs> and I'm noticing a theme with you here. Yeah. You have a thing for time. I do. It's uh, <laughs> something that fascinates me. And, and I've, yeah, I've been writing about it. But this was kind of the, I don't know, if you look at all three books, this might be kind of the the pinnacle of the time questions. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I actually marked a page in your book to read back to you. Can I do that really quick? Not the whole page, yeah, just a little yeah, passage. Please. It says the more she read, the more she couldn't help but feel every word on the page was the result of a struggle, a struggle to reco reconcile the mechanics of time with the human experience. And then it kind of goes to someone else's perspective and mm -hmm. says, 
Along the way, she'd begun to see history's flaws in a glaring light, how fragile and subjective it was, how the past was shaped by the beliefs of the present and then used to form the beliefs of the future. And when I read that, because I had read The Fortune Teller and The Memory Painter, and I've had the honor of speaking with you in person, I was like, is she talking about herself? <laughs> uh, you know, it's just that's more just philosophical questions about life and time and our experience of it and memory. You know, it's it, it just and I, I really kind of delved in that on the fortune teller about losing the memories because that was about the destruction of of, you know, historical works and uh, libraries and what what is lost in time. And I, I mean, it's just uh, it's so much a question, even as we move into this digital age, like how do we, how do we hold on to all of these memories, you know, um, for the future and keep a record. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's fascinating. It's, it really kind of, um, it's just something I kind of mull over and it ends up in my story. Well, you're making me mull over it too. The way, I mean, I, something that is also mentioned in the book somewhere is something about how objects, Mm-hmm. from history tell the tr- right. tell the truth maybe more mm-hmm. than humans do because I always mm-hmm. think like history is written by the victors right 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 <laughs> you had yeah. some interesting little things too this book Google makes a great companion to this book <laughs> because you would say something like you would correct history or you would mm-hmm. say some little fact I remember you saying something about Napoleon wasn't really that short mm-hmm. or uh, the let them eat cake Mm-hmm. was not actually said by Marie Antoinette. It was said mm-hmm. by a queen. Is that true? Yeah, no, I was I was going through historical discrepancies to just, you know, put those in there. And uh, yeah, so it's really fascinating how we all have, you know, assumptions just shaped over time. And it talks about historical ghosts, the, the idea of what something that's written uh, becomes a fact when it's not really a fact and it's just taken as a fact. Uh, so that's, you know, that that's all over the place in historical records. And so the idea was, you know, the time collector is about a psychometrist who can actually see the imprints within objects, the memories, and there, there it's a pure imprint. It, there's no subjectivity to it. Uh, so, which is really kind of fascinating because does that exist anywhere? You know, is there kind of a, uh, an objective, just pure, uh, memory of something? So, uh, Yeah. Is that what started you wanting to write this book? The idea of like a psychometrist who can really look into the past, like like a little movie almost. Right. Uh, you know, I got this idea when I was writing the the Memory Painter. I was finishing up revisions on it, and there's a scene in the Memory Painter that was it's one of my favorites that I wrote. And the Memory Painter, for people who haven't read it, it's about a painter who can remember his past lives quite vividly, and his mother has a knack of finding antiques, she goes antique hunting and finding antiques that actually once belonged to him. And so he's come to visit his parents. Uh, he hasn't seen them in a long time. And she, his mom has just come back from an antique hunt uh, at a flea market and come home with this old clock. And unbeknownst to her, it belonged to him in the 1700s and he actually built it. Uh, and so he has this visceral emotional reaction to the clock he offers to take it. He's trying to hide all this from his mom. They have a strained relationship. Um, and he offers to take the clock to see if he can get it fixed. And he can barely make it to the car. And he's sitting in the car and he's holding this clock. And he's so full of emotion and just, you know, tears on his face just because of the poignancy of it once belonged to him. 
uh, he can know, but yet it no longer does. And he has all these memories tied up in it, but they're not really his memories. And, and I, I just, there's something about that scene that really captivated me, um, uh, just about trying to write it. And, and then I thought to myself, well, what if there's a character who actually can see all of these memories that it has nothing to do with it being his life or his past life, but he can see them and he can experience them. And then all of a sudden Rowan, the, for the character from the time collector just literally flew into my mind. I was in my kitchen standing there and I was kind of electrified. I was like, Oh my gosh. And I saw him in this antique store taking off gloves to touch something. I was so excited because I had a a character I, I, you know, I knew I could write a book around and, um, and I almost made The Time Collector be my second novel because uh, I was just so excited with it. But I was already in the middle of researching and mapping out the fortune teller. I had the story down. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to make this be my third book, no question. And I just spent all the time that I was writing The Fortune Teller uh, researching The Time Collector. I would kind of squirrel away all the stuff and slowly, you know, get the story coming together. So that's the birth of it was actually from the memory painter in that scene in the car. Yeah. (laughs) I would say they do make good companions, but also the three of them do, because Mm -hmm. even just listening to you talk right now, it's like, yeah, they all have antiques is Mm -hmm. a thing. History Mm -hmm. is a thing. Time travel is a thing. Mm-hmm. And and typically some kind of ability that's special. That's what I meant by saying magic, because right. you know, the people listening right now, they're going to be very interested in psychometry and, mm-hmm. and practice psychometry, like holding right. an object and trying to get an impression. But it's so exciting in fiction that mm-hmm. you can create a character who has to wear gloves because he can't stop this ability yeah. and he gets yeah. these vivid I thought the gloves was such a powerful component to the story. Thanks. It really was interesting. Like he couldn't shut it off. <laughs> right. Yeah, he can't. He's had it since he was 5. It's really shaped his life who he is and you know, that's why, you know, I came up with the gloves and then you know, as a, um, as a physical outlet, he boulders, he mountain climbs without ropes. And that's like the only time he can really take off his gloves and like ground himself is with the rocks on the mountains. And, um, and then the other thing was mudras. He uses mudras, uh, the hand positions, meditative hand positions to really help bring, you know, control his energy. So he's like a master psychometrist. I just went I went full out with him. You did. I was gonna mention. I was gonna mention the mudras. Those are some of my favorite parts in the book. I have little dog-eared pages. If I just like flip through here, and many of them are uh-huh. passages about the mudras and what this mudra does and what that mudra does. Yeah, that was really fun to research on my website. I have a bibliography page. If you click on the actual time collector book, scroll all the way down. There's a page that says, you know, bibliography, and I have all the mudra books. There's uh, one that's just beautiful with the artwork. I love this artist. Um, I believe it's called Mudras for Everyday Life or something, but you'll see the cover. Um, it's just uh, I should probably do some shares on social media to get direct some people to her book because it's just gorgeous. And it, it's uh, separated by like fire, air, water. Um, you know, uh, earth to, you know, the different hand positions, uh, to kind of control the meridians and the energy flow of your body. It's really fascinating. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of fun researching mudras. What is your interest in, you know, tarot cards is really at, at the heart of 
the fortune teller and Mm -hmm. you're talking about past lives and Mm -hmm. the memory painter and really lucid dreaming almost or not vivid dreaming I should say and then this is touching on psychometry sacred Mm -hmm. geometry crop circles what is are you (laughs) personally are you woo woo like and and you (laughs) and you love this stuff or do you just think it's they're interesting props for your fiction world I love this stuff I have since I was really young and and it just you know being able to write it into fiction is just uh there's just something very um fulfilling for me you know I love putting it all together and creating an adventure so yeah I love I love learning and researching and just kind of delving into all of the all of the metaphysical and esoteric, uh, you know, ideas that exist in the world and, you know, throughout different cultures too, you know, we have the Western traditions, we have the Eastern traditions and, you know, I mean, I just find it all fascinating and just gobble it up. And, you know, I, I love creating fiction that explores it all, you know, so, um, that's just my passion. Mm. You yeah. packed a lot of it into this book. <laughs> I, I was like, how that. is she? This is, she's pulling this off. But if you would have come to me and be like, well, there's going to be sacred geometry. And then there's like, a, I would just be like, this is too much. You must cut it yeah. back. But no, it actually, it all ends up coming together in a really interesting way. There's one thing that I refused to. To Google. I did Google a lot. You would say uh-huh. something and I'd go Google it. Is this a thing? And I'd be like, it's a thing. Oh, this is, <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> but That's one true. word that came up throughout the book, maybe more than any other word. And I, every time it came up, I'm like, no, do not Google that. Wait what? until you talk to Gwendolyn. And I may not even say it correctly. Upart. Uparts, yes. Is that Uparts a real thing? Is a thing, yes. Oh, Uparts. Hey. Uh, for people, it's O O P A R T S, and it's out of place artifacts, and it is a, an anomaly that exists in the archaeological world where objects will uh, be found at a dig or a site that really have no business being there, uh, and they can't. Archaeologists are really unable to explain how it got there. So um, I had discovered Uparts through Ancient Origins, which is a great website. I love them for some of my research and ideas, so uh, I highly suggest checking them out. But uh, they, they had so many great articles about Uparts, and I thought, you know, just my little radar was going up a long time ago when I was reading them. And I'm like, hmm, you know, uh, who else to solve the riddle of an Upart than a psychometrist? So that became kind of the crux of the thriller is, you know, Rowan's best friend is, re- is a, he's the only psychometrist he knows. He's researching Uparts and is trying to solve the mystery. And then something goes wrong and he's in danger and Rowan needs to help him. And, uh, so that, um, that drives really the thriller aspect of the story. And it's a love story too, where, you know, a budding psychometrist Millicent gets caught up in, you know, the, the chase with Rowan and, um, but yeah, so Uparts, uh, definitely, I discovered that through, you know, my research and it ended up in the book. Oh, how I, fun. I, yeah, really, yeah. I mean, part of me was like, she made that up. That's no. not a thing. Because <laughs> I, I, I had, n- I've literally never, not once seen or heard that word before, which that's why I wanted to save it. I was like, yes, let's, let's yes. be surprised during the interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was, uh, it, it's just a fascinating thing of. You know, and that goes back to the whole thing of, uh, you know, just the question of time and how, well, how do those things get there, you know, and it was just fun to 
present the idea of, you know, can things jump time and space and how does it happen? And, you know, I mean, you know, Rowan is obviously trying to find the answer and, you know, he's just as in the dark as anybody would be. Um, so, yeah. Do you have a favorite part, like a story that you read that like a unsolved, I guess they're all unsolved mysteries. Yeah, they're all unsolved. I don't have a favorite, um, but yeah, you on my on my bibliography. There's a whole Upart section, so and you can Google that, and you'll get a lot of articles uh, that are really fascinating that list a lot of different ones. So mm, it's a funny word. <laughs> I know, I know, and it was like it's a really kind of very funny word. So I was really very conscious of that and how I used it, and you know, because it's it just sounds a little goofy. But that's actually what made me think you did not make it up, though. I was like, <laughs> Gwendolyn would not make up the word Upart. This right. is the woman who named one of her characters Melisent, which I had never heard. My brain was like, Maleficent? No, Melisent. Is that her name? I don't know, but it was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, that's a that's a name, and, it, and that actually is the meaning. I when I mentioned the meaning in the book, that is the meaning. So, and how, how I kind of arrived on it. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, lo- I have a lot of fun reading your books. I learn you. when I'm reading them. Thank I you. think that's what makes it fun. And then that line between fiction and history, in fact, mm-hmm. it's like so blurry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, do you have a memory? Speaking of memories, do you remember when you first got interested in time? Like, what is it with you and time that this is such a theme? I'm actually sad to hear you say you might have finally exercised this. Well, like, with these I mean, I'm not done with time travel books, but, you know, I mean, I do have one idea that I'm playing around, but I, I might do something that just is, stays in one place. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I you know, I, I would say maybe in college I became really fascinated with writing about it. I, I was, uh, I did a graduate degree in directing theater and film, and, and I wrote some plays in my program, and one of them was called Hermit's Heaven, and it's about a man who. Um, who kind of refuses to reincarnate because he doesn't want to lose the memories of his wife. Aww. And, uh, and, and that was the first time I ever wrote about time and was kind of fascinated with it. Uh, and, um, and that was when it, I think it really kind of came into the foreground of my brain and, and I was starting to really want to write about it. We started with that play. Hermits. So. What was the name of it? Hermits heaven. That sounds like that'd be a really good novel too. I, I mean, it's on my list. You know, I have like, I have like boxes of files, and you know, uh, just all on my computer hard drive. I mean, it's just you know, when you have all these different ideas, it's like which one, which one really kind of are you going to spend several years on? So at, maybe at some point I'll revisit Hermit's Heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was that was um, that was kind of just a very wistful, um, you know, melancholy sense of time and not wanting to let go of, you know, your memories. Um, that's yeah. me. You just described me. <laughs> I, I, maybe that's why I was like, ow, I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> and that's the thing about time. Time is so cold 
mm-hmm. and mechanical. Yeah. But also at, for us as humans, it's mm-hmm. so much more than that. It's so right. it's so sentimental and mm-hmm. or it brings up so much fear and so mm-hmm. much love and like yeah. what's real and what's not real and right. it's it's fascinating. I see yeah, I see I why you why you're so interested in it. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like this came out very quickly after <laughs> the you said it took years, but you had I interviewed you last year for the fortune teller, and then this came out a little I think more than intervi- a year. You interviewed me in seventeen, I think. So it was not two thousand eighteen. I I could have sworn it was seventeen. I thought we talked. We talked right when it came out. Oh so well, talk the, about time. Then. I know. Ta- I know. Okay, I, time you know, is flies. Yeah, I agree because I actually, um, I did a research trip to New Orleans when I first was writing the book and I went to do a blog post about it and find the pictures and I couldn't find them. And I was so upset. I was like, oh my gosh, did I, did I not save those from my phone? Like what happened to my New Orleans pictures, my research pictures? And I was looking the wrong year. I was like off by a year because (laughs) I just, it didn't seem that long ago, but it was so um, I wow. started, yeah. So the, the fortune teller came out in 17. Okay. Um, and I started writing this, um, in 16 in the fall because I was done with edits on the fortune teller. I would say fall, like September ish of six, 16. And I started the time collector, like actually writing it right away. Um, so I was writing it in 16 and then through 17 and 18. So two and a half years, um, When's the last time you looked at it? And well, you probably read from it at Book Soup. You've been doing events. Yeah, the- yeah, no, yeah. I did. I did some readings. Um, I really once everything is really locked and we're we're into like I turn in like the final pass pages. I really don't like to look back at my at at the books because if I see anything I don't I want to change. I can't. <laughs> so oh my god, like- I'm like that with an Instagram post. I, I'm like. <laughs> This, I, this needs a rewrite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, so it's like, the you know, I, I love word tinkering and fiddling and I can do it forever. And so, you know, once something's locked in place and it's done, it's a completely, you know, like I send it back and it's there, there's nothing for, you know, I can't touch it anymore. Yeah, there's something about that that I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to look. It might be fun to read when you're an old lady. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'll be like the old lady in my rocking chair reading my book. So yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Do you actually, there's more, what did I want to ask you about this? Because I have more. Oh, intuitive archaeology. I wrote down like certain words. Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, that's a thing too. That was fascinating to research. The archaeologist I mentioned in the book, he really he did work with a psychometrist for like 20, 30 years, and he was a very respected archaeologist in Canada, uh, and he had some fascinating tales. And uh, there's some there's a there's a French intuitive archaeologist right now who does a lot of digs. I don't know his name off the top of my head, but yeah, you can Google that, and th- that's a thing too, which is which I found fascinating is in what I gave Stuart the best friend. That's what he does. Um, so, yeah, I think that was one of the most fun things for me as a reader reading this book, because I am woo woo. I love all this stuff. <laughs> and I kept coming across new terms and things like that. And I mm-hmm. was just like, wow, that's so cool. I've never mm-hmm. I mean, just the idea of intuitive 
archaeology. Archaeology, it right? It sounds really cool, but then to yeah. involve like a psychometrist and yeah. and I, I I don't really know how powerful a psychometrist can be. Did you research anybody that has the maybe not like Roan, maybe not to that degree, but has right. like a really heightened sense that way and can actually see moving pictures like a movie happening and playing out. Well, I mean, the psychometrist that the Canadian archaeologist worked with, he was pretty, he got pretty vivid imprints about like what existed at a site. And a lot of times he was correct. Uh, something like 85% really high rate of, of being pretty right on, which I thought was really fascinating. You know, it's, it's uh, there. And I, I, you know, for research, I actually watched a DVD. It was titled with remote viewing techniques, but it actually was for psychometry. And it was about holding objects and trying to get that um, sensory memory of what, you know, what happened, you know, surrounding that object. And the person who was leading the, the training, she's a psychic that works with police. And I mean, when you really think about it, you know, the, those psychics that work with police, they need objects that were very personal to the person to get the strongest imprint off of them, you know, keys, jewelry, wallet, you know, it's very parallel. It's very similar to psychometry. Um, so, you know, in my research, it was like there, there was really, it's kind of, it's, it's in one big wheelhouse, you know, this idea. Um, and then it's just, as far as what Rowan can do, I, you know, obviously I wanted him to actually be able to revisit the past. So I, I made him just be super powerful, but mm -hmm. yeah. So it was really fascinating to research it. Yeah. It was fun to read about the little, the little details of historical mm -hmm. figures too, that, you know, you know, their name, but then you mm -hmm. get to read like these little details. That's where Google came in a lot for me too. Like, mm -hmm. Did that really happen? And be, I, there was just such a payoff in that for me, <laughs> um, but that was a big part of it. Did you experiment, experiment yourself? with psychometry? Um, Did you play around with it? A little, no, but not really. Not, I wasn't like, you know, I, I think when I was a kid, I was really into it. I, looking back, um, my mom actually collected antiques we, and I'm from Texas and she would, I mean, so many weekends, like two or three weekends a month, we would be at old flea markets and antique stores and I was really, you know, young. And this was for a big part of my childhood was spent in antique stores looking back. And I love to go and pick up things and try and imagine who they belong to. And, you know, so that was something I loved to do as a kid. Um, and maybe that, maybe this, <laughs> this idea for the book started then and I didn't even know it, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um yeah, yeah, well, that's kind of how your book opens. And, mm -hmm. oh, it really hits the ground running. It was very intriguing, and I had no idea where you were going with any of that. And especially now that I've read the whole book, and I remember mm -hmm. how I felt when I was reading the opening mm -hmm. chapters. Or I was just like, yeah, I couldn't have guessed where she was going with all of this. But it was very <laughs> intrigued because, again, it was dialed down mm -hmm. to, like, one moment with one object. And, right. and there's a lot of power in detail like that. 
Thanks. I, I really enjoyed those opening chapters. I was like, sold, sold. I almost wrote to you, but I was like, don't be that dork, Joanna. Read the book. I love dorky emails. So yeah, please feel to send them anytime. <laughs> Out of, are any of the things that you write about that people would categorize as paranormal things that you've had personal experience with or tried really, really, really hard to have personal experience with? You know, I mean, I've, yeah, I've done a little bit of everything, really. I mean, you know, tarot readings. I was in a drumming circle for years. Uh, you know, it's just I, I, I love all this stuff, and I, I think everybody has an intuitive muscle, and whether we exercise it, I, I'm, you know, I don't do kind of intuitive things every day. Like I'm really bad about trying to meditate, and you know, all of that stuff. Uh, I, yeah, it's like, yeah, I've, I've had some experiences where, you know, I'll know something before it happens, uh, think little things like that, but uh, I wouldn't say I'm, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm super, you know, I'm, I'm a psychic or anything, but I do think that we all just have a sixth sense and, and I do try and keep my antennas up quite a bit. Uh, and that's just, that's just how I look at the world. It's just, mm-hmm. I just yeah. heard, I was just listening to an interview yesterday with Ann Patchett mm-hmm. and she was yeah, talking okay. about how eerie it is in her mm-hmm. novels that there's some sort of like premonition magic that happens mm-hmm. when she's writing. I mean, she's mm-hmm. one of the world's most famous novelists. So her experience I think is just next level because she gets Mm -hmm. to meet so many people that have read her books, but she will write about something that she has completely made up. It's just a Mm -hmm. product of her imagination. Mm -hmm. And then she says, it just always happens. Like people show up at her books, book signings and they're like, this happened to me exactly. Or they think she's writing about them. And, (laughs) and there, and it just has this sort of, that's great her she's not very woo woo she just stacks it up to being like well you know there's not very many stories to tell the human mm-hmm. story is relatable to everybody you know so right. that's just how she interprets that and yeah. um she's really good friends with Elizabeth Gilbert who interprets mm-hmm. those things in a more mystical way <laughs> right it's all about interpretation i mean everybody's going to look at it di- completely differently. And I too try to balance all that it, with in the books to just have a wide appeal for people who aren't inclined to kind of have a, like, that mystical viewpoint. It's just, it's a, it's, it's just a, you know, come sit by the fire and hear an adventure type of idea. Yeah. Uh, a thriller. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of, of, um, perspective, you know, a really great book too, that's out, that I think is really a great kind of hybrid between between kind of the two worlds is uh, Real Magic by Dean um, Radin or Radin. I, I don't know how to say his last name, R-A-D-I-N. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic book that just really explores the whole idea of like, you know, the paranormal, uh, how it is really kind of trying to have, find its own place in real science and especially with physics and quantum physics. I mean, that all is just really fascinating to me. Yeah, so I recommend checking that book out too. I think quantum physics is a bridge for some of us. 
And then mm-hmm. other people just end up writing that off as woo woo as well. They're right. Like, okay, right. well, fine. Like, well, You're how just. Do a... they know? How do they know <laughs> if they can't see the atoms? You know, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, it's yeah. a fascinating field. I think it's yeah, really it interesting. And science and magic used to intermingle anyway, mm-hmm. hundreds of years ago. So it feels right. like we're coming full circle with that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. I don't know. I don't want to go too far off <laughs> on a yeah, tangent. Yeah, let's on a just tangent, stick with adventures. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, what you were saying about police, the police working with psychometrists, with psychics, and they use uh-huh. they utilize psychometry to right. help solve crimes. You'll see this on kind of like these cheesy TV shows mm-hmm. sometimes, and it's like, mm-hmm. but it's why isn't they're doing it? It's a mm-hmm. fact. They are mm-hmm. using these people, but somehow it's shrouded in secrecy and or it's just something you see like late at night on one of these like cheesy detective stories or something (laughs) but they're actually utilizing this skill and I just think there's a lot of woo shaming going on so reading (laughs) fiction is nice for somebody who just wants to explore those ideas but not get too deep into is that could this actually happen or not right the fantasy of it and sometimes fiction is is truer it feels truer even than mm-hmm. than nonfiction sometimes. Yeah, I love fiction in the just you know escaping and just you know li- living in your imagination for a, for a, a good period and yeah, um, you know yeah. So. Well, I mean, it's truer emotionally. Like it can strike a deeper chord in you mm-hmm. sometimes to read fantasy or right. like a fictional thriller. Like why? Why do we care? Why are we turning right. those pages? Why did I just sit in a chair for eight hours staring at, yeah. pa- at paper? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Right. What is that about? <laughs> do you find when you're writing your books that you're experiencing them? Like, you're, do you get to where you're in the moment and you're? Oh yeah, I'm it? totally caught up with the with the story. It's um, yeah, completely. How fun. Mm-hmm. Of your three yeah. books you've written, which was the most like that for you? Like being swept away almost Really like- all of them. It's really just part of the pro. You know, I just really go into the story and kind of live there for a while. And it's, it's uh, yeah, so all three. I don't, I wouldn't say one I was more caught up than the other. So it's just, uh, you know, it's funny because when you look back, it's just, it seems like a distant memory a little bit, you know, like, Oh, I kind of remember that time <laughs> I wrote that book. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's far away. It's in, and you're not caught up in it. Uh, and there is a little bit of a kind of sending it off into the world. And, and so, yeah, it's a great memory. I have great memory of writing all three. Um, the time collector, I think was the least, uh, the least of a struggle. I don't know how to, you know, I just feel like that came kind of, you know, looking back, that was the one that was, I wouldn't say the easiest to write because they're, you know, they're all hard to write, but I don't know. It just, um, on the revisions and on like just getting the story ready, it just kind of, some things came a little quicker than the other two. And so we'll see, we'll see what happens on my next one. If um, that could have just been the case of this book, you know, so. Yeah, well, and just the way it came to you that day Mm -hmm. as well, just like, ta-da, here I am. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So are you working on your next book? You know, I I am working on a couple of story ideas. So I'm still in this uh, little bit of a, you know, germinating stage. 
and just trying to really decide what is my next. I I do, I am like writing two different things, which I haven't done before. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, not quite ready to talk about it. One's a time travel, one's not. And we'll see what, what comes to the, you know, to the, what, what actually becomes the next one. So I haven't figured that out yet. I do love when I find an author that has uh, I don't know. I want to say style isn't the right word. They have, they have special interests that pop up again and again and again. Like I like reading witchy fiction and there are mm-hmm. some authors that always write about witches, even though mm-hmm. each book stands alone. It's, uh-huh. it's just a different witch for each book. <laughs> right. Right. I enjoy that because I, I, mm-hmm. I come to associate that author. Do you feel like I need to break out of the time travel? You know, you know, I don't think, um, I mean, all my, even the two stories I'm working on, they're in the, they're in the same wheelhouse of all my stories. So I don't, you know, that's a pretty big wheelhouse to play in. So I don't feel constricted at all. And, you know, for the, even the one that I, that I'm thinking of for time travel is actually completely different than the other three. So I just, you know, I don't really kind of think about those things, you know, it's just the story is the story, you know, it just kind of comes to me and it's like, okay, you know, I guess I'm going to be writing that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't actually think like, oh, I can't do that or I don't, I shouldn't do that. I, I'm, I'm fortunate in that that hasn't become a part of my dialogue with myself. So Yeah. Well now, yeah. now that I'm a fan, I'm like, it's become a part of mine. <laughs> like, what will we learn about time next? What a, something that I just don't feel you fully, I didn't get to scratch the itch. You introduced mm-hmm. the itch and then I'm like, but it's still itchy was the, was the crop circles thing. I'm not a crop circle person. Or I wasn't, yeah. but there's yeah. some things that you said, maybe they interested me. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so fascinating. You know, when I first came up with the Time Collector, I, you know, I knew um, the, the, the Uparts have to have a final, there, there has to be a final payoff of everything. And, you know, I don't want to go into too much of anything about the plot, but crop circles did become important because I was researching sacred geometry and crop circles kept coming up. And I'm like, what, you know, crop circles, I, I don't, you know, I remember hearing about them years ago, but you just don't anymore. I didn't even know they were still happening. And that became this really fascinating thing I discovered in writing this, the, the story. Um, so, uh, they do still happen. They are still very much a mystery, uh, and they're gorgeous and they are complete geometric works of art that are being stamped on fields. Uh, and that was fascinating. And I, and I did was like, should I put this in here? <laughs> Cause it's like cross girls. No one is really thinking about them, but I'm like, I have to, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's became this integral part of the story. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. At first, I'm like, now we're talking about crop circles. Okay, (laughs) where is she going with this? But then Uh you do, you keep weaving it in, and I don't, I also don't want to give anything away about the plot. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, uh, that was really a process of discovery as I was, as I was going on the journey of the story, I was discovering all this stuff too. So that was what made this book so much fun to write. 
um, is that, that big aspect. And, and it's funny because I had had, uh, this book, Descartes notebook, and I'd had this beautiful coffee table book of crop circles on my bookshelf for years that I had gotten in a used bookstore years ago for no reason other than like, I felt I needed these books, you know, and I, and I, they'd been on my bookshelf. And then when I was doing this research and it was coming into geometry and math and I was like, Oh my gosh, is this why I have Descartes notebook on my shelf forever? And so I read that book and became just this pivotal thing in the story. And, Both, and it yes. was great, you know? So I, I was just, there were just some really great synchronicity, you know, in the writing and, uh, you know, um, on how it all came together. That was just really fun, really fun for me. Yeah. It's, Enough to almost kind of sort of make someone who is allergic to math, like myself, <laughs> maybe start thinking about it. I love you said something, one of your characters, I think, said something about how geometry is the language of the universe. Yeah, yeah. And that was definitely in context with crop circle discussions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so um, that's something I did not Google. Are they really, like, geometrically perfect like that? yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to have to read more about that. Something about that really captured my imagination. You were talking about the soil, like the measuring mm-hmm. something yeah. that's in whatever's in the soil, and none mm-hmm. of the flowers were crushed or the crops, yeah. and I don't know. It, it, you got me. You got me. What can I, What else can I say? What else, when will your next book be here? Please, let us, let us continue talking about crop circles and time travel, because... I don't know. You have a thing now. It's in my brain. I really, I strongly encourage people that are interested in anything we're talking about to read any one of your books, but but maybe start with the time collector because it's the newest book Mm -hmm. and we want, we want Gwendolyn to have all those awesome Amazon reviews (laughs) and that big like book launch wave that makes, that does make a difference. Yeah, it does. So you are a person who is living the dream. Like this is the, this is the dream. I was talking last night in a group of writers talking about Mm -hmm. like, we should start collecting examples of people that are making a living being Mm -hmm. writers Mm -hmm. because there are so many examples. This has been one of the greatest disappointments for me doing interviews and talking to a lot of authors about how often they have to have side jobs or they can't right. do their... And I'm just like, what? You're shattering all of my fantasies and dreams. So in your experience, in your world, I'm not going to ask you specifically about yourself because that's rude. But mm-hmm. what have you seen as a whole? Like, do we have reason to hope that there are authors that are making their living just writing their books and, and well, getting yeah. to play I mean, in this fantasy world and work in it? Uh, they are, but it's a very small percentage. I mean, really, in order to completely make a great living off your books alone, you really have to be a New York Times bestselling author. And that's just a reality. And so it's really like a 1% to 3% of authors are probably – comfortably living off their, their, their books. And that's just, you know, it's not really talked about that much, but, uh, and maybe a lot of new authors have kind of preconceived ideas. And a lot of people actually, uh, you know, readers kind of think that, you know, you get a book published and you're just completely set, but yeah, that's not the case. So, uh, you just have to have a phenomenal success 
in order to sustain yourself and you, and, you know, just keep writing. I mean, so as far as advice for writers who are hoping to one day, uh, you know, just write books and just, that is all you do. You just have to write a lot of books and gain a readership over, you know, many years, you know, so you kind of have to look at it as like a long journey that's just going to be over a lifetime. And, you know, the stories just keep stay in love with your, with writing and with storytelling and, and don't, don't sweat the rest and just try and get to that place. So really that's, that's all you can do. I mean, and that's just the industry. That's just, you know, and I think that kind of goes for a lot of the arts, uh, uh, in general, it's just, that's just the reality. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing, I think this is the most amazing thing maybe to ever happen in my lifetime is Patreon and sites mm-hmm. like Patreon where mm-hmm. people are realizing like, oh my gosh, like all my favorite band or my favorite author or podcast mm-hmm. or whatever it is that they're actually struggling to make a living. Mm-hmm. Right. And if we all chip in and donate, you know, a few bucks a month that, I mean, I, I've just seen so many success stories, people mm-hmm. that I personally know who are now mm-hmm. paying their bills, being creative because mm-hmm. of... Through that? Yeah. That's Is great. that incredible? You know, yeah. so, I mean, because part of being a writer is having the time to write. Right. And then the energy, you know, mm-hmm. when you <laughs> sometimes read advice to writers it's like if you love it you'll do it no matter if you have three <laughs> kids and three jobs and you're like you're living in your car you'll find right. a way and it's like well that's no sounds- it's hard to write when you're stressed about money I mean that's that's a you know that's a big life stress and you you know obviously it's hard to you know go into your own imagination when you're trying to you know buy groceries for your kids so um but you know with that, it's like, well, maybe it's going to take someone a little longer if they have only say, say an hour or two on a weekend, you know, it's just the, 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 the idea is that, you know, that's your own time, uh, to just, you know, if, if you're a writer and you like, that is, that's your escape, that's your passion, that's your love. You, you know, you kind of have to do it in order to feel good. Uh, so, you know, obviously, getting to that place where it is your profession and your job, that could be, you know, that could be a a long walk, uh, but it's a walk that you might really enjoy because you're doing what you love, you know? So, yeah. And you actually already kind of said that when I was asking you about your experience of writing Mm -hmm. these three books, like I'm, which one was Mm -hmm. the most fun for you? And you're just like, they all were, I enjoyed the process. (laughs) And then you even, I noted, you said something about they were all hard. Yes. But you loved you loved the yes. process. I love yeah. It's like you, I, I I can't imagine doing anything else. It's like I love what I love it, and you know. So it's you just have to have that fire to go back to the keyboard, and that's where you want to be. You know, it's like that's that's you know just the most rewarding place to be is writing it. You know, so um, so yeah, I'm I. I, you know, I just want writers, other fellow writers to just enjoy the journey, whatever that might be, including the struggles of it. Cause you, you know, it's not going to be a 
a walk in the park, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it takes no, a, yeah. it's not the fantasy of living in the woods and sipping tea and casually mm-hmm. typing right. and then you turn in your novel and everybody else right. takes care of it while you go write your next novel. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do like that fantasy quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I also in that Ann Patchett interview and for anybody who's like, what is this interview? It was on the beautiful writers podcast and it's from 2018 But she also said of some famous author, people would ask her, you know, like, how do you find the time to write? How can I find the time and the energy Mm -hmm. to write? And she's like, Mm -hmm. if you have to ask that question, you're not a writer. Go do something else. She's like, a more interesting question is how do I stop? Because if you love it, you can't stop. Right. It's just something that you do because you're enjoying yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to do it. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know. That's just very true. So, how do you feel now that your three published books in? Do you feel like, oh, I have, I'm connecting with a readership that I get, like I'm finding my people? Do you f- have a sense of who these people are, or is it different for every book? No, I think I think a lot of the, you know, I have like a, I have such great readers, and they they send me such wonderful emails and and things, and it's like. All the books are, you know, a, a reader will enjoy all three. You know, nothing's a departure, and even though they're all different ideas and stories, so very I do feel I feel very satisfied actually having the three books out, and I feel like you know I don't know, just kind of taking a breath, like okay, I've got these three, and what's next? You know, I, I, I there's a little bit of a sense of a a feeling, a, a little bit of a feeling of completion for me, um, that, um, so yeah, I feel, I feel, it feels good. Maybe um, it's the end of the beginning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's how it feels a little bit. So. Wow. That's so cool. I love to talk to anybody who, in my opinion, is creating the kick-ass life of their dreams. And you are one page, (laughs) one page, one word at a time. So I'm certain I asked you this already, but I cannot remember what your answer was. And it's totally okay if you repeat Uh yourself. It would be even more fun if you gave a different answer now two years later. But Uh what is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Believe it. Believe it. Yeah. I think belief takes you a long way. So yeah, just, it's like a shooting an arrow into the future and you, you just let it fly with an intention, you know? So I think that's, Oh, that's such a wonderful thing to say on this podcast because that's (laughs) magic. That's what we're doing with magic. We're shooting an arrow of intention into the future Yeah, and belief plays a huge part in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how can you, I I definitely going to link to you, but for people that are listening on the road, can you tell them your URL? Yeah. Uh, you can find me at GwendolynWomack.com and you know, all the info on my books is there, my social media buttons, my newsletter, all that good stuff. It's all right there. And yeah, I love to Skype with book clubs. If you have a book club, I'm happy to do a, a Skype talk and you know, it's just, you know, thank you. Thank you, Jordan, for having me on. It's just such a pleasure to talk with you and Yay. just hang thank out. Thank you for mentioning out. the book club <laughs> thing, too. I did not know that. Good to know. Yeah. And I've been saying your name wrong. Gwendolyn Womack, but it's Womack. 
Oh, it's kind of all the same. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, but hearing you say it immediately, I was like, ah, ah. Okay. Like, right. I don't even notice. Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn, it was lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much. Likewise. I hope you come on and tell us all about your next book, whatever it thank may be. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, much love, everybody. Peace. Bye, guys. Well, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I just want to add to you that Gwendolyn is an awesome human being. My son and I went to her book release party for the fortune teller a couple years back at a place here called Book Soup. And she was so sweet to my kid. If you're cool to my kid, you are cool with me. And she was. <laughs> and I really appreciate that about her. So hopefully you all will Run over to go check out The Fortune Teller or The Time Collector or The Memory Painter, one of her three books. And if you want to do The Magic Star, Five Steps to Deliberate Creation, follow the link here around wherever it is here, <laughs> wherever you are listening to this. If you don't know where to find it, just go to my website, www.joannadevoe.com, and it will be there. We are going to have a blast with this audio journey. I'm having so much fun recording it, so I have a feeling you will too in listening to it. And also, speaking of listening, I need to share a song with you now because that's what I'm doing at the end of these episodes. And I'm really stoked that Kate Nix gave me permission to play this song. It's called Blood and Bone from her album Sage and Silver Bullets. I can't remember how this album first got my attention, but I think I found it when it was pretty brand new and just up on Bandcamp. And I downloaded Blood and Bone, and it has been for a few years now part of a soundtrack that I listen to either when I'm working on the novel that I've been working on for a very long time or I'm thinking about it or I'm trying to get in the zone. It's a very witchy song. That's why I had to have it on the show, because I know so many of you are going to love it. So here it is, Blood and Bone by Kate Nix. Have a magical day, y'all. Sins, I let who I thought I was when lost my soul in nonchalance. I cannot tell what pain I've caused. My body's here, my heart is not. The war I waged was hardly fought. At what cost? Where do I go? I pray to God to barely know. With wine and fire, with blood and bone, I drink, I burn, I bleed alone. God help me now, I've lost my way, and so I bend my knees and pray. Say what I've sacrificed That my ego could survive Could not have been left less whole I cut apart my heart and soul On every stage I left a piece To acquiesce my devotees Gave away all I could see Now there's nothing left for me Wine and fire with blood and bone I drink, I burn, I bleed alone God help me now, I've lost my way And so I've bent my knees and prayed 
wine and fire with blood and bone. I drink, I burn, I bleed alone. God help me now, I've lost my way, and so I bend my knees and pray. For I have sinned, I let my lesser morals win.